You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here today. You could be doing uh, lots of other things, like blowing things up right now. We're in that season uh, I don't know, what is it about fireworks, advertisement? It's the only industry that you feel like they're actually paying you to take their, their product. Like, I got a coupon for like 35 free dollars of fireworks. Like, they pay me to take it. I don't, I don't get it. Anyways, we're going to be in Galatians 5 today. You feel free to turn there. Glad that you're here this morning. We're in our last, our last week in this series of the Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, as we remind ourselves, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe you are able to repeat that uh, pretty easily now, but we're in the last series, and and we are reminded, and it's good for us to be reminded, that we're not talking about plural fruits, but we're talking about a singular fruit as the evidence of God in our lives. So we of faith have the spirit of Christ in our lives growing this list of descriptors that describe the triune God of the universe. And so God is perfect in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and not self-control because self-control is not something that God needs. God has always had self-control. He never used it. Self-control is the only part of the fruit that's dependent on us because it's evident that when the flesh of sin and the spirit come in contact with each other in battle, there has to be self-control. And so that is where that comes from. And so that's what we've talked about in this series. And we remind it that those first three, that love, joy, peace, that those are objects that are in our vertical relationship with God. That love, joy, and peace are authored in the Father, They're extended to the world through Jesus Christ. They're given to us by faith. And then they're returned back to the Father by living in the Spirit in a life of worship. And that is a cyclical process that deepens our faith and redefines who we are. And out of that vertical relationship, there is an overflow of things called patience, kindness, and goodness. They are what people notice and see in us when we have a vertical relationship that is thriving. And then the last three, we talked about faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, and self-control. We would say that those are the disciplines that the Spirit is growing in our lives to hold and keep and grow us in the Spirit. And so we're going to look at the very last line of Galatians in chapter 5 today. Galatians 23 through 26. And so we can read it together. It's in your scripture. We'll have it on the screen. Uh, And this is what Paul says. Speaking about the fruit, that list, he says, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
And so this is the idea that we're going to walk into today, this idea of law or no law. That's what we want to wrap our brains around today because it's vitally important that we of faith understand that the law, and when I say law, I'm talking about Mosaic law, I'm talking about Ten Commandments and, and other things that we see in the Old Testament, but when I say law, what I want you to hear is all the rules that you think that you need to obey for God to love you. So when I say law, all the things that you think that you need to do for God to be pleased with you, that's what I'm talking about. We need to understand that the law could never do what the Spirit is able to do because in Christ we have a rightness or a righteousness that is not our own but is given to us because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. And so we are no longer letting the law push us to become something or somebody that pleases God by our actions, but rather we have the lens that through Christ we are already well pleased with God. That is a different lens to look at obedience and love and law and life. And so it's important today that we really understand what law is. And so we're going to look to Paul, a great source to look to. Paul mentions earlier in Galatians 5 some conversation about the law. And so if you look in verses 2 through 5 in Galatians 5, Paul says, and we said this last week, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, and we're reminded that circumcision was part of the law, part of a thing that people did to make themselves separate from the world, but it also represents anything that we think that we could do to earn right standing in front of God. And so Christ says, or, or Paul says, Christ will be of no advantage to you I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the law. So Paul says, if you're going to pick one part of the law, just know you're going to be held accountable for all of that law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And then in 14, Paul says that the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to say to Paul, that's not one word, but I'm not going to correct Paul. It's a whole sentence, but he's getting to the root of the law. And in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. Now, this is important, but if you are led by the Spirit you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so for our understanding of why the fruit has no law against it, we have to understand why fruitful walking in the Spirit removes the demand and the consequence of the law. And so that's what we want to do. As my geology teacher said, we're going to jump in our Jeep and drive through that, but let's pray here first. Father, we just come before you today. This is such a massively important message to our hearts. A message that declares that you are sufficient and that I need you more than anything. And in you, I have grace and righteousness and perfection. And so God, will you push on our spirit through your word here that we would come to believe that in richer realities, fuller realities in a life, that we would submit every part of us to that knowledge and that truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sometimes when I go to Indy, I like to take different ways. Even when I go to Cincinnati, 
so I go to I-69, I turn down 9, Interstate 9, uh, sometimes because the, the Skyline Chili is right off that exit and I'm going to eat there. And then I roll through Pendleton, and if you get into Pendleton, you roll south of Pendleton, there's the state penitentiary. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's massive, it's incredible. It's a mixture of this Shawshank Redemption type prison that's connected to like this future modern age prison. It's fascinating. There are fences everywhere. There are coils of barbed wire on top of the fences. It's incredible. But without fail, every time I pass it, I do this weird thing. And maybe you do this too, and if you do, I want to know. Maybe we're kindred spirits. I don't know about it, but I'd like to know. But every time that I pass that facility, I always look at the roofs, the windows, and the fences because I believe that somebody might be breaking out of that thing. And so for the, this, is the, this is what I believe, that the one or two times a year that I go past that, for the 15 seconds that it's in my viewpoint, that somebody's going to pick that moment to break out of prison, and nobody is going to be privy to it, and I'm just going to arrive and say, hey, that guy's breaking out. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be in my car. Just to, I'm going to be a hero, made the news banner, run a story, local pastor, foils, prison break, They'll establish some new readers, choice, and I'll be number one of prison wardens or whatever it is in Wells County. And so I don't know why I do that. I think that it has to do with this sort of deep belief in me that those people in prison are bad. People in prison are bad. They're lawbreakers, and they need to stay there. And they need to stay there because they're a dangerous society if they don't. They need to pay for their crimes, and if they would get out before that, they would be dangerous to us. And so the, the math is pretty simple in my head. Right? People outside of the walls of prison, mostly good. People inside the walls of prison, mostly bad. Every once in a while, Andy Dufresne, all right? We'll talk, it's Shawshank Redemption re reference, and probably nobody gets it, but. But our scriptures, listen, our scripture has a different wisdom about law. Scripture doesn't push law on people as a means to separate the good and the bad or those who are able or unable, but scripture compels the law. It was given to reveal and cultivate within every one of us how deeply flawed that we are. It was given to convict all, not some, but all. And so Paul writes this earlier in the book of Galatians in chapter 3, why the law was given. And so he starts with this profound question, why then was the law given? And he says, it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed, now the seed is Jesus, that seed represents what God said to Eve when they were being banished from the garden, that from her would come a seed that would step on the head of the serpent, that would kill sin and death. So that seed to whom it was promised was made would come. That's Jesus. The law was put in effect through angels by means of mediators. Now, a mediator is not just one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But, this is a big but, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. 
But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying that the law was given for the sake of adding transgressions, or you could say sin or wrongdoing, that the law was given to reveal the brokenness of the present age and the present people. And Paul says that the law does not give life. And so that means if I were able to obey that long list of things that I believe is going to please God, that on the other side of that, I wouldn't find a life that is as flourishing as I thought it would be because the law is not designed to bring life. But what is the law designed to do? To imprison us. To imprison us. It imprisons us because we will find as we read, the standard of God, his commands, his law, and his design that we could never achieve or be what we should achieve or be, but we are called to live like it. We are called to live like it because that is who God is, and God is holy, and he wants his people to be holy, and he is perfect, and he wants his people to be perfect. And if we don't live to that standard, which we can't, then we're going to be held in judgment. So God demands perfection because it is perfect, and so does his law. And so the word says that every one of us, every one of us is in prison. All of us have broken the law. And I want you to remember this, that all of humanity, all of humanity is gathered inside the prison of sin. All of humanity is gathered inside the prison of sin. And you may think, what prison are you talking about, Steve? Because I don't see any walls. I don't see any bars. There are no jailers in my sight. This is America, and we can do whatever we want to do. But that is the craftiness of the evil one to make you think that you are free while you're in bondage to think that you are the master of your own domain when you're actually his slave. We are walled in, listen, walled in by our own sinful disobedience, our own selfishness that views our pleasure as primary, our pride as meaningful, our rightness as significant, and our wisdom as supreme. And that is the prison that is destroying us. But yet we call it liberty. And the Father is grieved to watch his humanity choose themselves on repeat. And so does that mean that God made the law to drive men and women into sin, into disobedience, to shut us up into prison, that we are somehow naive? Well, was that wrong? But then God spoke and said, oh, that is wrong, and you shouldn't do that thing. Is that what it means? No, of course not. This is what it means. The law doesn't put me in prison. It just reveals that I'm already there. The law doesn't put me in prison. The law reveals that I'm already there. The law is perfect and good, and it is who God is. It's his standard, and it's always existed whether we've known about it or not. It is the enemy that under the sovereign rule of God drives and draws men and women into a life of sin and wrongdoing. That is his work, and he doesn't take a break from it. And it is easy to find victims because in our flesh, we love 
sin. But just as God does with everything that the enemy wants for evil, God turns it for his good. It is part of his redemptive plan because if the cross of Christ is the remedy for my life, if it is a rescue plan from the world or for the world, then I must know what I need the remedy from and I must know what I need to be rescued from that I might fully experience the freedom with Christ. And so God allows the enemy to draw and drive men and women into the prison of sin. Listen, not to condemn them, not to take vengeance, but to call them out of that prison, to call them out of that prison. God's law was given to help you and I come forth from that prison because in order to come out of it, I must first know that I'm in it. And so the law confirms to me that I'm in it. I must know that I'm in prison to be called out of it. And so God allows us, by his grace, to walk into sin, not that he desires it, that the enemy does it, that we would see more fully how glorious and beautiful and gracious our God is and come to the realization that I can't. And so God reveals the law, and in doing so, he imprisons all of creation for the very purposes of calling them out of that prison. And he calls us out of it because the law will never be satisfying, it will never be fulfilling, it will not be bring life, it isn't designed to. But it simply reveals who we are and where we are at, that we might see the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, that faith in Christ would become my sole desire because Jesus offers me the only hope for justification of my waywardness. Because the prison I am in is a prison of my own selfish desire for self. And the only thing that will move me out of that prison is to love something other than myself. To have something that is more lovely than me. And that is the love of Christ who shouldn't give me his love. I don't deserve it, but he does. He gives it freely by grace. I haven't earned it, but he gives it to me. Freely by grace. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So listen, this is why the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins and was raised on the third day in resurrection to give me new life. This is why the message of the gospel isn't just a one-time thing. It's not a one-and-done proclamation, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is something I need to be reminded of every day of my life, that the love of Christ, despite how ugly I am, died for my sins. And even though I could never attain it for myself, he has given me new life in his resurrection as a new creation being remade in his image. That is the love that compels me, that even while I was a sinner, Christ died for us. You know, this week I looked back in my, uh, I looked back in my files on my computer, and I, I found that I've almost done about 200 sermons uh, today. And so if you want to know why pastors are prolific authors, it's because they do a 10-page research paper every week. The material is there, they just make them into books. 
I heard some pastor say that, that you don't really get your groove or your voice until you've done about 500 sermons. Uh, so just to disappoint you, we're not even halfway there, guys. So that's about six years that you're just going to have to sit here and suffer, hopefully not suffer. But in those sermons that I preached, not that I looked through all of them, I will tell you that in almost every single one of them, we have talked about human brokenness and the reality that you can't fix you. And look, that may feel degrading, and that may feel negative, but listen, if we don't remember who we are and where we are, we will not realize the extravagant love, grace, mercy, and goodness of God. If we don't realize who we are and where we are, we will choose prison. And so Paul reminds his congregation to walk by the Spirit and do not become conceited. Don't think more of yourself than you ought to. So listen, the world is going to tell you that you're enough. You're enough. You just have to trust your heart. You're enough. You just have to do more. And if things aren't going your way, then you just need a better job. You need a better group of friends. You need a better spouse. You need more money. It'll tell you to do this or do that, but it will never give you what you want because you will never find satisfaction through doing only in what Christ has done. I get one day a week to remind us that sufficiency is not found in ourselves. It is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are prone to wonder and prone to forget, and we must remind ourselves the gospel is an everyday message because I need to pick up my cross daily and carry it. I need to deny myself daily and thrive by his wisdom. I must remember how desperate and bankrupt I am without him in my life to live in gratitude of his mercy, grace, and love. That is what abiding is. Remaining in Jesus. And that is the new covenant, the new system that replaces the old, that is higher than the law. Law always has a product, has an image in mind that it's trying to push something for, towards. And so in the scripture, law has the perfect image of God in mind, and it is pushing the people to that image. In society, our laws are there to create better society by deterrence. But both of them fail to make the products that they're set up to make. Our prisons are full. So law isn't fixing the problem. It's just really good at restraining it. And the law of God isn't something that can fix a person. All it is really good at is revealing our heart. Law can't fix. It can only restrain. And so that is why the gospel is so vital, because law could never make us into what Christ has already made us. The law will always fail to produce people with fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control because the law can only make you look good on the outside and it cannot redefine what the, is on the inside. And that is why Jesus spends all of his effort concerned about what's here in our hearts because it is from the overflow that all of our actions come from. What comes in doesn't defile. What comes out defiles because what comes out of us shows 
our inner disposition. The law can restrain, but it can't fix, and it can't remake you. And so we remember the gospel. We are reminded that Jesus Christ did for us what we could not. He lived a perfect, blameless, holy life. And upon his death and his resurrection, he gives to us in his power, in his status. He turns and he gives that gift of righteousness to us through grace by faith. We didn't earn it. He gives it to us. And I need to remind myself every day of that gift. Because I don't know about you, I forget. I forget that he gave me a gift. And I need to remember to stop thinking that I need to do something to please God. It is only in Jesus that God could be pleased with me. And I need to stop thinking that there's something I'm going to do to fix what's wrong in me. But more importantly, I have to remember the prison that held me to live in gratitude of the gospel that holds me. Because Christ can change the heart. The law never could. Christ can change the heart. The law never could. You can put as much structure as you want into your life, but it will not change your heart. And when we live by the Spirit under grace, we are no longer subject to the law because we are no longer held to the law, the standard of the law, because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. And so let's describe it this way. Imagine two people, we'll call them Jim and John, and Jim enjoys a good alcoholic beverage, or as my British friends say, methylated spirits. I think we should use that term more often, just to be honest. Jim loves them, but John abstains, right? Now, there are all sorts of laws dealing with the consumption of alcohol. If Jim wants to purchase and consume alcohol, he would be under the law of requirements and punishments about the practice of consuming alcohol. But John has never purchased nor consumed any. And so all the laws about it absolutely have nothing to do with him. They could change the law, double the restrictions, double the punishments, and it wouldn't mean an iota to John. John could care less about those laws. John could care less whether you can drink in this place or that place or at this time or that time or the amount of alcohol that you can have in your blood because John is not under the law regarding alcohol. John drinks beverages against such there is no law. And that is who we are when we abide in the Spirit. We are no longer subject to the law of the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, because Christ has already paid the penalty for it. And so in Christ, we are no longer bound by the law, but we are bound up in his love. And our life is no longer about doing or behaving. It's simply about becoming like Christ. Upon faith in Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we're given the Spirit through whom abiding makes us something that we can never be. William Teeple writes about Shakespeare, and, and in his writing about Shakespeare, he tries to help us understand what it means to walk by the Spirit. And so he says, uh, it's no good to give me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and tell me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live like that because Jesus could do it, but I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, 
then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come in me and live in me, then I could live a life like his. That is exactly what the spirit does. Being Christ-like is not our accomplishment. It's not our achievement. It's him. It's him. It's him remaking us for his glory. Christ-likeness is our highest aim. It means that we are abiding in Jesus, remaining in his love with a proper understanding of who we are, who we're not, and who he is, and the humility to live in such a way to choose Jesus over myself by the power of the Spirit. And that proves sufficient. That proves sufficient to remove the penalty of the law and the trappings of the law and enable us to walk in freedom radically different in the Spirit. That changes our hearts. The law never could. And so when Paul writes, against such things there are no law, there's no law against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, he's saying if we are in Christ, nothing else matters. If you are living by the Spirit, the law doesn't apply to you because God is conforming you into the image of a son. And so let's not hate or reject the law because it's good and it's perfect. It reveals exactly who we are and exactly where we're at in a prison of sin. And it is the grace of God that we have it because to be called into freedom we must first know we're in bondage. The law can never fix what's wrong in you. Adhering to, following God's rules cannot save you. Obedience will not fix you. The law can restrain and it can reveal, but it can never fix. Christ changes the heart. Christ changes the heart. And so that is why we focus on walking in the Spirit and being like Jesus, because it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters, because he's the only one that can change our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, I pray earnestly today. God, I think you said that message a thousand times before I responded to it. I think that you Somewhere said to me, it's not about your effort, Steve. It's about me a thousand times before I believed it. So God, I'm praying today that somebody for the first time believes that it's not by effort, but it's by Christ that we are saved. And that, Lord, we would do nothing more than to be the story, in the story of being loved by the Son. And that we would live inside of your love, that we would see you as more lovely than ourselves, that we would allow the Spirit to push in our lives, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow you. That, God, we would just freely choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control because they're in us, and they're coming out of us because you're in us. And so, God, we ask this boldly through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.